Welcome to Lobster Brain. Lobsters fight, and when they win, it changes the neurochemicals in their brain and in turn, the hierarchy of the lobster community. Each success makes the lobster more of a leader and it becomes a top lobster. But why are we telling you this? Because in this podcast, you'll learn about how success can influence your mindset, strengthen your beliefs, and change your thought processes. You'll also discover that it's both success and hard knocks that creates leaders, or as we'll be calling them, top lobsters. I'm Lisa Morton. And I'm Danny Donerkey. And in this episode of Lobster Brain, you're going to hear from David Moyes. David is the current West Ham manager who's had an illustrious career in Premier League football. He's a top lobster who can give you real insight into one of the most prestigious and highly pressured jobs around. Lisa, what are the interesting points that people are going to hear from David Moyes in this episode? Well, Danny, what I just could not get my head around is that pressure of going in to his job every single day and his ability to do that job being debated by everybody around him and every single person on social media, across broadcast media. I don't know how that actually weighs on your mental health. I think it's the only industry that I can think of where that's actually played out. When we left David's house, you know, his wife Pam was there, they really welcomed us and were so warm. And you mentioned to me that you couldn't believe how warm he was. And I hope that our listeners get a feel of how warm he actually is, because I think they have to put on this hard exterior persona to the outside world. And you often don't get to see beyond that. I think that's important to David. I think he does want people to know that that is who he is. And I don't think he really feels that comes across. And he's not had even, I suppose, the right to reply to some degree. Gaffer, thanks a lot for having us in your house. I really appreciate it. And just so our listeners know, I call you Gaffer. Obviously, you were my boss and we, everyone called you Gaffer, but I've got huge respect for you and I'll always, you'll always be known as Gaffer to me. I appreciate that, Danny. And, uh, you know, you were one of my, my physios at the time and I knew your dad really well when I, was a, when I was a younger player as well and really respected your dad for what he'd done as a player. And then they told me we had a young Donaghy in the building at the time, which... Uh, <laughs> was uh, the early days when we were first at Everton, so uh, that's where our relationships come from. Well, thank you for inviting me here too, David. I've been, I've been working with Danny for about seven years now, and he's spoken an awful lot about you and your values, which we'll, we'll talk about today. But one thing that stuck out for me is that I read a quote that where you said that you have to try and prove every year that you're worthy of being in the post. Mm-hmm. And that struck me as being a massive amount of pressure um, on a daily basis I just wondered what kind of effect that has on you and how you deal with that well I think that the, the first thing I think that when you do come into football management I think that you do have to appreciate that you are under pressure you know there's a lot of people judging you it's not like an ordinary job where you know you can go home every day you might have a bad day and you know do a few things wrong and you don't get questioned too much but if you do in the business we're in then everybody's got an opinion about it they talk about it and there's so many people who are employed in the in the football industry now, you know, and part of it is is media, which is a huge part, and everybody has an opinion about it. But uh, I think having to prove yourself all the time is something which comes from trying to be better, trying to keep keep up the best you possibly can. 
I don't think you can ever say that you've become a manager and you can put your feet under the desk and think, hey, yeah, this is all done, you know, I'm, I've made it. I think that it's evolving all the time now. There's so many different parts to to being a coach, being a manager, whatever you want to, to call yourself, because there is so many, many clubs now have different titles for their head coach or as probably myself and Danny would say, the manager. But uh, but overall, yeah, I think that I think that you just have to keep trying to challenge and prove yourself. My answer probably, sorry, and I'm talking a bit long here to you, would be to say is, you know, I think the only proof I could give back is longevity. You know, being in the game as long as I have been would probably say that in the main that I've, I've probably tried to keep going and, and done a decent enough job. And you're not on social media, are you? So is that deliberately to help with kind of protect you from that or I would health, I would say it's or? maybe more and maybe folks would say it's probably more to do with my age and my era maybe not not quite picking up on it as much as we would have done uh, as a lot of the, obviously the younger ones and people of a younger generation but I also believe that not being in social media means that I don't need to hear everybody have an opinion I've got a lot of things I'd like to say you know about different situations which people get the opportunity to do but I just don't feel that uh, that opening myself up would be of a great benefit, really. I think it'd be quite funny. I think you should get on it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I've thought a few times about it. I've thought, should I, I come on and be able to sort of reply and whatnot? Because sometimes people you know, don't get to see exactly what you like, you know, and uh, you know, I've tried to evolve in, in my, my coaching and being a manager through through the years and, and people don't get to see your own personality a lot of the time. And actually, I'm getting to an age now where, uh, you know, let's be fair, you know, you get to a period where you say, well, I don't really give a shit too much. You know, you just do what you, you have to do and act the way you think you do. If social media is the way to do it, maybe it'll be the way forward. And I'm still young enough to, to go on it, I'm sure. Pam was saying that you're the oldest manager in the Premier League now, and I can't Come on, Danny, it. You, told, you told me this was going to be a sort of nice interview, not too much uh, putting people down. Sad, I say that? Sadly, sadly, yes. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I've been at a couple of managers' conferences I've been on, and Jurgen Klopp, I think he's second. So he's desperate that I stay in the business so that he mm-hmm. doesn't become the oldest one. But it just shows you, when I when I started really at Everton in the Premier League, or when I started at Preston North End, you know, you you never really envisage how long you're going to be in, in the job because we're in a job where people talk about you being sacked or people talk about you losing your job as readily as, as you get might get talked about getting moved to another club if you're doing quite well. So we've just got to, got to take it. And uh, I'm really thankful that, that I've, I've gone a decent distance and I still hope that the best is still to come and there's there'll be great days ahead and I'm looking forward to it. What would you put down to that sustainability? Uh, I'd have to try and keep moving along. We were speaking earlier about there's a lot of stuff you have to deal with and I've seen it firsthand how a manager's job is it's virtually impossible. Hmm. So what is, what is it that you really love and, and keeps you engaged with it? I think the biggest thing I say is I've always loved as a boy walking up to a stadium, seeing the floodlights on, having the feel of the crowd, the anticipation of a game going on, I still feel I've got that inside me. You know, that's the anticipation I've got. And if you can always remember what it felt like being a supporter, it sort of keeps you a little bit grounded in where you were, you know, really excited, getting up, watching the game, you know, sitting, getting ready to watch it, you know, getting your scarf on before you go to a game. So, so I think the love of the game comes from that. And also, look, 
I was brought up in a in a family in Glasgow who my dad ran a boys team in Glasgow. My mum had to wash the strips, had to do all the stuff which was connected with that. I could hear my dad on the phone at the time, uh, booking the referees, booking the pitches for the games, you know, phoning round all these players to make sure they knew that it was to, to turn up at where they were meeting at 12 o'clock or whatever time it was. So I was brought up in a, in a way where they, I could hear the organisation, the planning going on, even for amateur football and boys football. So I really do think that all those things play a part in your life. I think you don't realise till later on, you know, how important your family is, your mum and your dad and, and the influence they can have over you. When you when you first came into Everton, there was a lot of old, famous players there and there was quite a, a strong culture and you made a lot of changes. You were quite bold and you were quite scary at the time. Did you ever doubt yourself making those changes? You know, I, I think that uh, people in life will tell you, you know, is, you, is there'll be periods where you think, how did, how did I go on and do that? You know, and there's a bit of an unconscious part of you which goes and does it. And I remember people have asked me questions many times in my career now and said, you know, no, are you a better coach now than you were when you're younger? And I go, I don't know. I don't know. Because when I was younger, I didn't carry as much baggage. So you weren't thinking about what the media was thinking. You weren't saying, you know, what the player's going to think when I make this decision. And, you know, so I came from an era in Scotland where Scotland had a, had a great, great group of managers. You know, ahead of me were people like, you know, obviously Sir Alex, but, you know, there was George Gray. And we had, there was so, so many good, good Scottish managers. But Scotland was tough. You know, it came, you know, the, the managers shouted at you. They, they worked you hard. And I think I came probably at the end of that era. And uh, I probably still had a bit of that in me when I came. But when I first came to Everton, as Danny's referring to there, I'd, I think I just had to continue to manage how I'd managed at Preston North End, which was my, my first club. And I've got to say it was scary if you're talking about being a young manager, you know, and the, the traits of being taught how do you... How how you meant to deal with the you know we had Genoa Gascoigne in the dressing room my first day you know and I was a really really inexperienced manager from that level so all those things and Danny will be fully aware of what I'm talking about and the level of players we had at that time at Everton so it's not something you get taught or you get trained how you come into a room and you deal with that but I think that. You're always getting judged as a as a coach and a manager, and I think if you don't put your own stamp on it as soon as you can, then uh, you you'll soon get found out. And did you feel vulnerable in that situation? Yeah, I did, because you you never you don't know the words, you don't know you're not trained up, you're not. Yes, and nowadays I think that there's a there's a whole world out there where you can go and get help or thoughts and where you can how you can speak. But I think I was saying. I've got to come in here and, and speak with these players and get them started and get them working. The biggest thing about it is I actually was taking over from Walter Smith, who Walter Smith was one of the people who I'd speak to regular and who I looked up to so much, and he had been the been the manager prior to me getting the job. So that made it difficult. And also I think Walter was a very likable fella from from players and I was concerned going into Everton at the time that, you know, the players might have had such a connection with Walter that, you know, they might not be ready to, to sort of look at their next manager quite in the same way. Mm. How did you build those relationships with the players then? Because you may be suffering some kind of, I don't know, yeah. imposter syndrome or some kind of yeah. being judged. How did that work for you? 
Well, let me tell you, I think then when I went in, I think building relationships with players was not necessarily the biggest thing. I think now communication, relationships is so huge in the in in where we are in life and what the world's looking for. I think back then, as players didn't normally come to the manager's door, they tried to stay away from the manager's door like the plague. You know, they didn't want to really get too too close to the manager, and, and in truth, the manager didn't really want to get too close to the players. And uh, when when I went to Everton, it was still slightly that way, but I think I always felt that the biggest thing that I had to do was show that I could I could. Uh, work on the pitch. I could show them that I, you know, I knew what I was doing, I knew what I wanted. I had an idea of how I wanted this to look, you know, how I wanted them to be. And things like discipline and organisation and planning, I wanted them to show to see that, you know, this is how I work. So they were probably the, the bigger things I was putting in. I think absolute having communication with the players at that time was not the biggest thing. But I do at that time I remember Paul Gascoigne was was wanting to leave Everton, and I, I had to deal with that immediately. I had David Ginola, who you know was coming to the end of his time at a club. Not so much the club, probably coming to the end of his time as a player in many ways as well. But so I had all those parts to deal with, which are never easy when you first go into a club. Mm. You had a few run-ins with Big Dunk as well, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I did. I did, I did. <laughs> Plenty of run-ins with Dunk, and, and uh, but look, it's it's amazing how you see people change as well. You know, I think of Duncan then to I think of Duncan now. He's a different man, different different being, experienced, older, a bit wiser, which we all get, and look back at things in life and think, my goodness, that the way I was when I was younger, you know, and look back at it differently. You spoke about earlier how now you're getting a bit older, you don't give a shit about things as much. A lot of the people we've spoken to have said that to be successful, you need to create this hard kind of exterior to get through. Mm-hmm but it's at the cost of kind of being yourself and being happy. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? Well, I remember, remember in the early days, we used to, you know, we looked at psychologists at Everton. We had them, do you know the people I'm talking about? And I remember one of them used to say, look, you have to be bulletproof. That was really which, you know, always think you have to sort of don't allow, can't allow the media to affect you, even, you know, the players, you've got the crowd, you know, there's so many other elements which are, could have an effect. And I actually think at that period in, in life, I think you, you are tougher, you're a bit harder with it. I think as you get older, you become a little bit more, you listen to more. I remember the early days, and I'm only telling you this story, this, uh, in the early days when I was a manager at Preston, you used to find that the criticism would come from, there'd be a letters page. So you'd pick up the evening post and it would say, there's four letters. Oh, why is David Moyes not playing him? You know, why is he doing this? He has to go. There'd be four or five letters in in the newspaper, and that used to get you so angry, you know. And I was saying, who's that? Do I know who he is? Do, I know, do you know where the letter comes? When you think now, and you started here today talking about social media, and you talk about the way it was, the difference to now to then is incredibly different. It really is because, you know, every day you could find yourself being criticised for something and. And it's difficult to, to, and people say, you know, does, what does criticism do to you? Well, if you look at criticism, you know, nearly everybody in life doesn't really want to be criticised. But yet in our sport, it's okay to every day, you know, if if it's needed, you hope, hey, by the way, we love the praise and we like to be successful, but, but it just happens in our job. It's more than likely that you're going to probably have 70% of your time probably being critical because unless you're, one of the real top managers winning all the time. It's the way it's going to be. So 
you have to find a way of being bulletproof and find a way where you accept it but also trying to live what Danny was suggesting, your your home life and how you deal with your own home life and how you still come back to your family and your kids and try not to be too grumpy. And I've got to say, that's not easy. <laughs> yeah, that's what I can't quite understand because the modern view of leadership now is that you bring your whole self to work in whatever space that is and you show up with vulnerability. For me personally, and definitely since working with Danny, I've... I've embraced that more and it's been good for me but it's very different in the sphere that you're in so I'm wondering can you really be yourself in both places and and when you come home is it possible to drop that kind of that harder shell when you walk through the door yeah well I'll answer the last bit first to say no you you can't drop it I've got no doubt there'll be managers out there who can there'll be people out there but one of the things you said is no I think if you love it so much it means you care about it And even though I'm acting as if at times you don't want to give a shit, but I care about the football club, I care about who I work for, I care about trying to do a good job and people thinking that you're doing a good job here. And that, I think everybody in life would like to be, uh, would that be the case, you know, you're quite happy to be patted in the back. But the other parts of it are that the leadership side of it means that every day you're, get different problems, different things coming up. Danny knows what I'm talking about. It can be from the medical side, it can be from the players you're dealing with, probably the best part of 30 men who've got their own families, situations going on with their own lives, and you have to deal with all that as well. And it means that no two days are very rarely the same. But I have to say, I've enjoyed my journey and I've enjoyed, it's been something which I've accepted and it'll not go on forever. So I have to know that I take it try and move on, try and work with it and uh, be the best I possibly can be. One of the things that really strikes me about the position that a manager, football manager is in is if I equate it to my life, it's like me walking into my job every day when there's a live debate going on whether I should keep my job or not. And not only just in the environment I'm in, but then we've also got every social media platform, every radio show, debating about whether I'm good enough for my job. Mm -hmm. That must be debilitating. Well, I think for for MD and any any walk of life to to say, hey, look, you might be out of work in two weeks' time. We've got somebody else we think is better than you. uh, And it's going to be discussed openly. I don't think that's... I don't know if it's even allowed. I don't know if it's something which in, in any workplace would be... And I think that people would be given an opportunity to try and uh, give their reasons back. I mean, we've, we've got a society which, you know, we encourage phone calls into radio stations for uh, people say, phone in and say why David Moy should lose his job, you know, and we have it. And and that's the world we, we live in as football managers. But if you're talking about a lot of the mental health issues that are going on in life just now, as you know, that would be something which you'd have to consider, you know, not been not been a great thing for for MD. So again, and it, whether it be whether it be the boy who walks around the corner on the bar and he's getting told that hey, by the way, we're looking for a different barman, you're not very good. You know, everybody could be affected. So for being a football manager, as you well know, you're on all the platforms, as you rightly said. You're talked to newspapers. They they discuss it, and uh, I'm not sure. Maybe in years to come, 
it will might be brought up and maybe talked about more seriously. Uh, because a lot of managers lose their job and it's not something which, uh, you know, we've got another thing about actually, I'm not particularly sure that the word sacking, being sacked is a great word mm-hmm. for someone. If you're not particularly good at the job, sometimes the word sacking implica- implicates more things, you know, so I think I think in football we're we're in a position where quite often uh, this is very much part of the game, mm. and maybe if we turn around and we said to people on in media, you know, look, you can't be as as I don't know if the words negative about players saying that they are st- not players as as managers saying you know they're going to lose their job, they're going to be out of work, because it can have a big effect on people's lives, you know, and especially if you're a young manager. You know, you're still trying to make a career. You're still trying to make a living for your family. So it's not, I don't think it's a great thing. I think the word that you're looking for is ruthless. And yeah, I, I totally get your point. You know, as a society, we're a lot more aware of mental health and, and how it can impact individuals in a big way. And at the same time, we allow major news stations to comment on whether managers should lose their jobs mm-hmm. and i i was sacked for the first time recently so i know how it feels now um but that the word it it definitely has more weight to it than mm-hmm. other other words yeah i think the other thing you just got to put uh, put in perspective say is look this this is a tough industry and everybody look in life you know we're all going to go through difficult times so if we come into football management you, you, you know that there's a good chance you're more than likely you're going to be sacked. You know, I think you're going to be sacked in some time in a football match. You, you need to be very special to go through it and not be sacked. But I also think that it doesn't need to, doesn't need the, the whole world to debate the reasons why you're, you know, why you're not. Because we're, we're in a business, we're trying to win the games. As I said, we're trying to uh, be, be good at what we do. We're not, we're not going to, to lose games. We're not going to set up the worst teams. We're going to try and be, be good at what we do. Yeah, and I think, you know, you mentioned earlier about uh, the idea of being bulletproof. It's a great idea, but you, but no one is bulletproof, are they? Nobody. Everyone's a human being. Nobody. And I think what That's you're right. saying is it's really important to remember that. Yeah, really important that, that we are. We're all human and, you know, we. I don't think MDI, no one thinks that they can go into the job and be perfect in what we do. And No, there's some great managers who still have difficult times most managers don't make it do they they get the first job and then mm-hmm. because the the reputation is gone then they don't get another job yeah. so you, your longevity is really being unbelievable do you feel like you're a successful person in life i feel like i'm someone who's running the marathon you know where a lot might drop out i'm not sure i'm going to get get the gold medal when i get over the line but I think that completing it sometimes is really important and I want to complete the journey and I hope on the journey that the journey gives me some successes. I've had good successes in, in my lifetime or my football lifetime, but I've often got the feeling that there is still something there to do, you know, and really I, I, I generally feel that in many ways I might be better now because I'm a bit calmer, uh, maybe able to deal with it. The experience I've got has probably made me think better. Uh, and what you do when you you start to delegate a little bit better, you start to bring in people who can help you. You know, There's me talking about a lot of young coaches and a lot of new stuff out there, a lot of computer-based, analytic-based stuff going on. So I think all those things added to what I've got with your experience, you hope maybe there's a, a couple of really big days still to come in my career. 
you talk about getting that gold medal and for me it depends how you measure that so what actually is the gold medal and from my perspective I've worked with quite a lot of managers now and in my sort of medical and performance field you can quite often managers they get under so much pressure they can give that pressure to you Mm -hmm. they can pass that pressure on yeah and in terms of me working with you that was one thing that I loved about you that you never deliberately pushed that pressure on so for me that is the gold medal it's Mm -hmm. not about really winning trophies Mm -hmm. what is it for you well I I want to say that as well because I can think of you know Pep, I can think of Jurgen Klopp, I can think of Jose Mourinho, you know, Sir Alex. You think of, you think of the managers who are serial winners, and you know you'd you'd love to. I said in an interview maybe six months ago or ten months ago, you know, uh, I've won a few Manager of the Year awards, but I'd swap one of them for any one of Jose Mourinho's trophies if you know what I mean to get that because I think it is something what the outside world might judge you as. Strange enough, now I'm not. I'm quite contented with, with where I've done. But I still feel as if I'd like to have a real go at winning something. And I mean, I look at the I look at the team celebrating, even in the World Cup, we're talking now during the World Cup. And, and I don't think too many times through my career I've had that moment where you can nearly let yourself go at the end of the pitch because you've got a trophy or, you know, I've had a couple of great European trips, I've had some great results, but... I'm still waiting for that day where I can let myself go on the pitch and sort of really think, wow, this has been really good. You've talked about being a much more positive person now than it used to be. Yeah. So. <laughs> kind of trying to be. <laughs> Danny never said you were positive yeah, yeah. ever. Um, and I just wondered why that was. Are you aware of why that is? You know something I said at the start, I think the upbringing with the, man- with the managers, you know, the, I'd done my coaching buddies with the SFA. The people and the coaches in Scotland they had were fantastic. But it was a, it was a tough upbringing, you know. You, they wanted it done. Everything was more on probably not negative, but more on a, you know, shouting basis, a bit more controlling. You know, you hear of the stories of you know the, the hair dryer treatment and all. So there's a bit of all that. And I'm not saying that's come from me, but there was a bit of that in Scottish coaches and Scottish managers in the early days and I think I had the, the, the last sort of traits of it really from the way the coaching was going at the time and I actually think it's helped because I think that I think that does I think in leadership and management you know people need to see hey wait a minute there's a boss and you know this is how we want it to be done and this is what we're going to do I think if we're in the days where we don't really give clear decisions and decisive decisions I think the players can can react from it but going back to the positivity I think when I come back this time in management you know I've had I've had some difficult times which if you're in the job this long everybody's had but I have to say that I just decided this time well I'm going to go and I'm going to go with it I'm going to try and be as positive as I can but what happens with it is you get so embroiled in it that you get dragged down by you know results affect you maybe selling a player you don't want to sell or all the things where media stuff can can affect you in some way, even though you try to keep yourself away from it. But yeah, I've just sort of felt as if I'm going to come back and try and turn most things into a positive as much as I can and stop being glass half empty, which probably I've been for a long time in my career. That's the way I've been. And everybody will be made up of their own type. But uh, I've tried to be a bit more... uh, 
positive when, when I can. And what do you do to help yourself in those moments where you are feeling depleted? Uh, well, I think now a modern leader has much more communication and has to have better communication skills. So talking, finding out how people are, how people's families are, how they are, I think in some way keeps you positive yourself because you're actually changing a little bit of, you know, my focus is on the football. My goodness, we've not won the last game. What am I going to do? How am I going to think? Sometimes just absolutely changing and finding out a little bit more of people, they quite often surprise you and, and they brighten you up a little bit as well. So I wouldn't say I've had any, any great skill at it, but I've just really tried to say to myself, come on, you can't be as, as down. And by the way, I do get down. You don't get... I don't think you can be in this job. And I used to say to Bill Kenwright at Everton, you know, if we hadn't won, I'd say, I'm going home on a Saturday night and I'm going to bed and I pull the curtains. And that was it. And that was quite often the way I was when I was losing as a manager, you know, when I was younger, because that was the feeling you didn't want. You didn't want to, You didn't want any noise. You need to get over it. You wanted to get the feeling away. But on the other side, I used to always say to Bill, you know, we... What we really want is a Saturday night feeling where you've had a great game, you've won, and you're saying to the wife, come on, we're going out for dinner, we're going for a glass of wine or whatever. That was the difference, and that was the contrast from being a winning manager to a losing manager. Could be coming home, pulling the curtains, just going straight to bed, or saying, come on, I want to go out and I want to... And that is where I've tried to make sure that I'm not as extreme on either of those, both now. I'm still very down when I lose, and I still now and again want to have a couple of glasses of wine with a good result. Just coming back to the thing about speaking to players more and communicating more, there's a narrative now that you know young players they're different, and I'm sure they are in some ways. But I think the the core is still the same that players and people care that you care about them, mm-hmm. and the more that you show that, the more that yeah. they're going to do well for you. And I think that's something you've always done well. Mm-hmm. But is it something you've consciously developed? I think that I don't, you know, when you go back and you think, as I'd always like to be known more for being a good man than a good manager. And I think being a good man means that, you know, all those things you hope, you know, you're polite, you try and treat people correctly. But look, when you're the boss, sometimes you're not. And I've had plenty of fallouts with players and said the wrong things many times. But in the main, I want to treat all the players the correct way if I can be. And I've always tried to do things. You'll know we always try to take the players and the wives out. We always try and send the wives flowers at the right time. We've always tried to be do the right things. But importantly, I think speaking even more to the players now is really important. So I want to ask you about you being a workaholic. And I think you've said that yourself and other people have, have said it. And I'm interested... What's that driven by? Is that a fear of failure or by wanting to achieve the next success? Mm-hmm. And also, is it a happy place for you? Are you are you okay about uh, working that hard? It's a really good question. And I, I think the question's... I think there's a change in how people work and how people live in a younger generation. And I think I think everybody wants to, to work hard. I, I've got no doubt about that. I think everybody wants to show that they're doing a good job and working hard. Maybe people don't want to work the, the hours. And now I would say the probably the hardest thing now about being a football manager is the hours you have to be away. So you're training most days, you're in. Most players and clubs at this level are staying in hotels maybe the night before a game or you know sometimes it's every home game, sometimes every away game. So nearly every weekend for the best part of nine months, ten months is completely taken up. So you have to say that 
you know, it's difficult then to have friends and other things on when that's the way you work. So does that make you a workaholic or is that just the way this job goes? And if it is that way, then I'd say, well, you probably better not get involved in it if you don't think, you know, you can do it or your wife's not going to be happy or you, you think that you're not going to see enough of your kids. And I, I've got to say, I'm sensing it a little bit in football at the moment that a lot of people are saying this is actually, you know, very difficult, very, very well paid. But are you willing to give that all that up? So I think it's why managers are maybe coming in for a few years and out. But I'm a workaholic. Yes. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. I, I, would, I have to say, yeah, to enjoy it. No, I'm looking forward to looking forward to the days when I can golf and I can do other stuff. But I think you'll go mad. If you're not, yeah, I, I might do. I might do. I'd really, I'd really like. You know, I've enjoyed. I, I do when I was out of work, and I've been out of work a few times. Done some work for UEFA, which I really enjoy. But I was watching games. I, I spoke a lot at, at conferences and in, in the coaching courses, or done different things. So. It kept me busy enough. And actually, when I do stop, and I don't want to be, with respect, I don't want to do Roy Hodgson, I don't want to do Sir Alex, get into their, their 70s and managing, that's not my plan. But I'd really like to be be around football or involved in football. And I'm, I'm going to go and watch it, because I said at the start, I still feel like a supporter, still getting a real yeah, urge to go and see the game and you know, seeing the floodlights on and stuff like that. So I've still got that. I can remember there was a time, I think it was quite early on in your tenure at Everton and it was before a game and like, you know, before a game you've got a lot going on and you, you shouldn't be focusing on small details and I was just stood beside the pitch and you come out and you're looking at the grass and you said, I think you said, I think the grass is like a millimetre too long <laughs> and I was just thinking, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> <laughs> you, it, it, it's probably got worse, Danny, that's the problem now, you know. So, uh, no, and look, the, all the managers who've had a big success, I think that they're probably looking at the, the small detail. You look at how the, the marginal gains, David Brailsford, you know, the marginal gains where people have, have to find small ways to try and get get success and hey I'm still trying to do it I'm still trying to get the the magic dust which uh, hopefully makes me successful and gives me some more trophies when you came back to West Ham did you feel a different mindset because it's difficult sometimes it'd be a challenge to and it's so, what you do is so public mm -hmm. to go back and people say you should never go backwards don't they so what was it about that move then that you felt this is right for me to do now well first of all I when I was at West Ham the first time they didn't take me the first time you know and I was really disappointed because we'd kept them up we'd done a really good job we'd sort of started to have a decision what we were going to where we were going to go and it changed so the biggest thing I actually admired was the owners to come back for me a second time after saying I've got this wrong you know I made the wrong decision here we all make wrong decisions and choices so I sort of went in with a, I did something to prove, I really did. I felt as if I have to prove that, you know, they got this wrong, nearly to them as well as to myself. But I have to say, uh, I've had a really good time at West Ham. It's a really good club, I've enjoyed it. I see huge potential for growth. I think there's lots of things we can do better and make it better. First of all, you know, there was a, a, a real disconnect with the, the club generally, the supporters, the uh, the owners, not quite so much the players, but probably unhappy with the performances at the time. And I actually think that 
over the last two, three years, we've we've brought it all together and we've got an incredible sort of feel about the club. Suddenly we've gone from being a team round the bottom to a, to a club looking to be uh, connected more round the top. But what have I tried to do? I've tried to sort of go in there and say, well, a bit like I said is I'm trying not to get too involved if I can, but deep down I'm really involved and I really want to be successful. And... Uh, I want to try and keep it going. I'm really enjoying it. And at the age I'm at, I'm not quite ready to retire yet. And I could do if I needed to, but I'm not ready to retire. I still think though, there's something else for me and I'm, I'm striving to try and get it. How do you, how have you developed yourself over the years? Obviously in football, it's full on. So you're there all the time. How, how can you develop yourself within that? I'd, I'm I'm really fortunate, Danny, that I, I'm involved in groups. I'm a part of leaders in sport, and I, I speak to I speak with Gareth Southgate. There's Eddie Jones, there's Roberto Martinez, there's David Brailsford. I'm involved with a group of people who are really, really good as sports people. We we go and quite often we've been a few trips together, and you know we we'll go to New York, and we'll go to America, and different things, and we'll we'll meet up with the the people from all the the big sports industries over there. And sometimes hearing how they work and what's happening, you end, you end up finding, hey, by the way, they're, they've got the same things as what I've got going on, you know, problem with a cyclist or maybe a rugby player and, you know, how they're going to get a better team, etc. all those things. So I think I think trying to, to keep yourself current is really, really difficult, but you've got to keep yourself up to date. I've done, as I said, mentioned there, I've done a lot of work for UEFA and I really enjoyed going to the games, watching the Champions League games, looking at the best players, trying to find out, you know, what the best managers were were doing. And I've got to say, there's such a huge change in, in football all over. There's much more video analytic work available. You know, you can, you can look at so much now. Probably even the training now, you know, how we've had to evolve, you know, where you, what you might have done 10 years ago is not necessarily relevant or current today. So... I think to stay in the industry, like you probably would do in any industry, you know, whatever whatever you you choose mm-hmm. to do, maybe things have changed dramatically, and maybe just the life we've all gone through in the last few years as well has made things alter as well. I think uh, what you know what you're talking about in terms of like being in the hotel all the time, um, video analysis, all the times increased and increased. I think there's a danger sometimes the way I see it that you lose parts of what was good before. And, you know, Everton, a lot of it was, uh, it was a good laugh and people were close and had good fun. And I think that's really important to keep hold of that and not lose that because it's not easy being a footballer or a manager. It's a lot of pressure. So it's important to keep hold of those things that help you through that stress. Uh, It's a really good point, Danny. You talk about the things that we do, going back years gone by, we used to have much more better social events as when we were at a different era. I think... For different reasons, you know, we've gone through COVID where we're not in groups situations. But strange enough, when I was going through COVID, we're listening to people talking about what they were doing in, in COVID. And, and Phil Neville made a really good point, I thought, uh, who we know very well. That He said that, you know, he felt that at the time, because there wasn't much fun out there for the players, that we should, the players should be having fun when they were coming in. Now, we work in a really serious business, so we come in and we're trying to be serious, get the work done, good preparation, you know. And maybe we had all just missed out a wee bit in the fun. So that was one of the things we, we tried to do when I heard that. I said, no, we need to make sure that we're, we're laughing and the players are really enjoying it. 
and we found that and we have at West Ham we have a great spirit a great team spirit which you know doesn't win you the games but can make a big difference in lots of other occasions mm. and, and people used to say 10 years ago say well how do you build a really good team spirit and there was a period where you know and again alcohol played a big part in that maybe 10, 20 years ago maybe further I think it's less so now because the players are, are much more looking after themselves. We have different religious uh, groups who, you know, it changes situations. So so to build, say, team spirit, a great harmony, is not just something which is a dead easy thing to do. It, it's something which you have to work on. How important do you think culture is and how do you shape that in a football club? Culture is really important. I think there's lots of things. First of all, I think if you're a, if you're a new coach going into a club, you know the culture. You have to have to look at the club and think, you know, what culture am I going into this club? What's going to be expected of me? And there's been some clubs where I think the culture has changed. If you look over the years, so I use one for example. I use Arsenal. I remember when George Graham was the manager, and we mentioned earlier, George Graham had a sort of they had a great team. Arsenal. When you think of Adams and Dixon and you know, Ray Parler and all the great players who were were were, uh, were at Arsenal. And it was only when Arsene Wenger came in, he changed it. No, I remember the folks saying, oh, he changed the food, he changed all the things that came. And to actually really try and nearly turn the whole oil tank around the other way and make it face the other direction takes time. And I think that's what it is. When you're changing a whole culture at a football club, I think it's a, a big thing. So most managers, the time we get now you're probably having to go in and try and stick to the culture, maybe try and slightly move off lines a little bit. But the, chan- the chance or the time to do it is is such a big job. And I look at Manchester City over the years when uh, I remember playing them at Main Road and when I was a player. And then if you look to where they've come now and the changes Manchester City have made and the, probably the managers and the time they've gone through, even with the new owners, and now they've got an incredible manager and they're, they're an incredible team. But theirs has been a long journey. It's not been something they've done overnight in six months or two years. And it takes time to make those those changes. So our, our culture at West Ham, I've just tried to follow what's been in place. But I'm trying to grow because I think that West Ham have got so much more potential I really do it's a huge club in the East End of London and I hope that what I can I can do and whether I'm there three years whether I'm there six years whatever it may be that I can try and grow something and, and give them something for the future because I do think that part of being a good leader is, is part of being someone who leaves it better for the next people mm-hmm. to come in definitely and as a leader or a top lobster, you, it's not just about your own capacity or your own ability. It's quite often the environment that you're in. And we tend to found that people who've had great success have also just found their tribe or their, the environment's been right for mm-hmm. them. So do you feel maybe that's, you know, with West Ham, that's because the team feeds off the leader and vice versa, yeah. if you can get it right? Yeah, I also think that maybe I was... I wouldn't use the word vulnerable, but I was ready to fall into somebody's arms who wanted somebody who was going to work hard, try and prepare the players right, try and do all the things. And that doesn't guarantee your result. Now, I had one or two other opportunities around about the time when I, I took West Ham, and I think that 
if it wasn't West Ham, it would have been somebody else who'd have got the benefit. But it happened to be that I was ready. I was sort of yeah, I was I was probably in the mood where I'm, I'm, this might be my, one of my last opportunities or not my last opportunity. So you better you better try and do the best you possibly can. And uh, I think maybe me mentally was ready, had the energy back because if you don't have the energy for this job, then you're never going to be able to succeed in it because it's so demanding your your time. In terms of our listeners and recovering from bad days and trauma, so your career as a manager kind of went up and up and up and up and then you got your dream job at United and it didn't go well. Mm -hmm. Um, What advice would you give them in terms of how to recover from bad days? Well, I think think life, whatever you do in life, you're always going to have have days and things in life are going to be really disappointing. We've, We've all had them and we'll all have more of them, sadly, in our future to come, I've no doubt. But I think I, I found it, I tried to shut it out, but it wasn't so easy. And, and in many ways, I nearly was, you know, you talk about saying, don't read the media, don't listen to things. I don't know, by the end of it, I said, well, why don't you read it? Why don't you listen to it? Why don't you hear what they're saying? But I felt there was so many untruths and things which weren't correct. But sometimes hearing the untruths made me stronger because I was saying, well, I know that's absolute nonsense they're talking, or that's not true and that isn't correct. So it gave me a chance, and I tried to correct it. I wanted to show people, you know, this this wasn't the correct thing. But it's very difficult when something's written or something's said. It's very difficult to change it. So there's a lot of people out there out there who have things written about them which are completely untrue. And I think especially if you're if you're going to be at the top, Manchester United for me was was the top. If you're going to be at the top or if you're going to be the, the one of the top players, a lot of the stuff it's very difficult not to have things written in spoken about you. And I, I found that at Manchester United, whatever whatever newspaper you pick up in the world somewhere, somebody would be talking about Manchester United. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the players that I work with deliberately don't go on social media and don't look at it. But you always find out about it anyway. You know, your yeah. friend tells you, your agent tells you, right. your wife tells you. Yeah. It's impossible yeah. to... You can't be in a vacuum, can you? That's right. No, you you have to find it. You have to decide how you're going to deal with it yourself. And mm. and again, I go back to people who get criticised. It's not something which of you, when getting criticised, is how people deal with it. It doesn't matter what walk of life you're in. You know, I could be saying, I could say you're a very very bad interviewee. You know, criticism can hurt everybody in their own way. And uh, it's how you can sort of deal with that and move on. And is there anything that you feel that's been said about you or a perception that's about you that's out there that you'd like to put the record straight on? I don't think there's any one thing. Uh, maybe if I had time to think about it, I might do so. But no, I, the biggest thing I've, I personally know, I've always tried to work really hard, try to be conscientious about how well I do the job. Never for any reason. And... You know, you never, in our business, I'm only interested in, as I said, you remember that Saturday night feeling? I'm only interested in getting that Saturday night feeling. So folk might say, well, he doesn't like this one or he doesn't play that one. I have no interest in any of that. I'm only interested in getting that really good feeling on a Saturday night. And uh, that's why your decisions can get it wrong. Sometimes you do things wrong like in this business. But being in it, as long as I have, I've, I've learned to find ways where... Uh, you try and get the decisions as right as often as you can and and do the right things as often as you can. You don't always, but uh, but that's what we try to do. 
you just now given me a whole definition for success now, which is that Saturday night feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what yeah. I'm aiming for. <laughs> yeah, no, well, as a, as a football manager, that was my my bit to sort of find a way of getting, could I enjoy myself on a Saturday night instead of having a miserable night? <laughs> and I don't want to sound as if it's, but I think being a football manager, it can it can get you that way. As you get older, you, I don't know if you, you male Maybe you just don't want to go out as much on a Saturday night as you did <laughs> when you were a bit younger. But I've always got had that feeling in me, you know, you want that that good feeling of a good result after mm-hmm. a game. I remember Everton and the players on a couple of days after a game, they'd be on the bikes. So the whole squad would be on the bikes recovering and it'd depend what the result was. And the door would open and he'd walk in and they'd like they'd be looking for his body language. Yeah. And if if we'd lost, they'd all be like, oh, God, don't <laughs> even look at him. <laughs> it's probably the same now. The, the, probably the players are, are the same. But, you know, but again, then you go back to the communication and maybe what Danny was saying is now I have to have a better body language and I have to try and... Uh, come in and try and quickly get them picked up as well and, and because we have got a chance to look at so much video work and the individual performances and clips of the players the players are, are really well versed themselves and a lot of them are are really clued in now and, and well aware of it so it's still the same in many ways but it's different in as much as I don't know if players are I don't know if players and Daniel know what I'm talking about I could come in and shout at the players and you know and give them a bollocking and the players would say, "Yeah, it's no problem." I'm not. I'm not quite so sure nowadays. They're quite as comfortable with that scenario, is is what it was gone by, and mm-hmm. I said that was probably a little bit of the of the areas era of the managers I was probably brought up in, or certainly the managers who were coaching me when I was training to be a young coach. I think they are. You know, I just think if you do it in the right way. If you're doing it for them, they can tell. If you're doing it for yourself, they can tell. And I think if you're still doing it for them, they're okay. Yeah. No, well, I've got a great sort of saying with the players. I probably had it then. I, I tell our players now, I say, when I, when I stop shouting at you, you know I've given up on you. Mm. So while I'm still <laughs> shouting at you, while I'm still concerned about you, while I'm still trying to improve you, you should think yourself lucky. It's when I stop, stop shouting at you, then you know that I've given up. And to be fair, they have it. You know, they do. To have it, they're, they're having it. And players, I think, want to get better and they want to play with good players. And we're trying to keep the levels of, of training really high and keeping players at a, at a really good level. So I hope that we can continue to do that. Well, uh, one last question. We've been asking all our guests this question. What, what's the most beautiful moment of your life? Uh, I think... I think having my family at games that my dad can come and see can see his son where probably, you know, he was the one who without knowing it supported, you know, I went and watched him being a, a manager of, of an amateur team in Glasgow with boys of 14, 15, 16 and I would go and carry the balls and put the strips out for the players where you think what your parents give you through life is so important. And, you know, my mum was the other one. My mum would be washing the strips and then on Sunday she would be hanging them up out, in the, out at that time out in the clothesline. So I think probably getting my dad to games when he's still old, or when he is old, I should say, not still old, but is old. And I think for him to become still seeing his son in football is probably a big thing because... Like most parents, 
you know, whether your kids are good at ballet or dancing or football, you've probably supported them. You've done years and years of taking them to classes, you know, driving them to games, all the effort that goes into it. So my parents were no different. You know, they, they put an awful lot of effort into us and I'm glad that my dad's still been able to see it. And do you know that he's proud of you? Uh, yeah, I do, yeah, yeah. I think we've got a family which... Uh, Every family's different. You know, sometimes we don't we don't speak in those terms. You know, we don't say that. But we know we the way we shake hands, the way we look at each other, the way we interact as our own family. Everybody's got their own family traits. What worked for them, and I think that uh, I think he is. I think he's. I think he is proud because I think he's seen a, a son. You know, play manage in a game that he absolutely adores and watches all the time and has been involved in himself. And he had another career, but he gave up his time as a as a to take young boys and and give them try and give them a career in football as best they could. Mm-hmm. Lovely, Gaffer. It's been a pleasure and an honour to know you and to be with you here today. And the thing that stuck with me the most from what you've said is that it's more important to be a good man than a good manager. And I think you've done an incredible job of that. Thank you, thank you for coming and interviewing me. Thank you so much. I'm really happy, Lisa, with the interview with David because I felt like he he really showed us a different side to himself that often doesn't get seen in the world. And one of the key points for me is the way he's so value-driven. And for me, that's that's everything about him. The thing that came to my mind in that conversation was like Marathon Man. And that even though it's really tough to have to literally dust yourself down every day and go again, he's always done that. You know, we talked about sustainability, we talked about longevity and ongoing relevance. Very few people, particularly in that pressured environment, can do that. And he's a person that strikes me as he's not had those massive ups and downs publicly, he's carried on. And the thing that really stood for me is that so many of us, you know, we're kind of primed not to ever go back, carry on moving forward. And he had no embarrassment at all about going back to West Ham. One of our values at Roland Dransfield is admit it, fix it, move on. And he decided to go back to West Ham because with an open heart, because he he believed that the the owners had got it wrong, the owners thought they got it wrong, and they all gave it another chance. And look where that is now. So for me, I thought it was incredibly inspirational because so many people go, sling your hook, I'm not coming back, you didn't want me last time. Yeah, and I think what you say about Marathon Man is definitely true. And another part that you were quite interested in was when he spoke about the Saturday night feeling. And I think, Mm. um, you know, a lot of people in the outside world won't appreciate that when David says that if they lose a game, he literally goes home, closes curtains and doesn't speak to anyone, is actual reality. And that can last for two, three days. And for people from the outside may get the sense that managers don't care as much about the result as you do, but I can assure them that he's absolutely authentic in that. Completely. And and the recognition on his part that unlike for some of us when we've had a bad day in the office, you know, he can't come home and walk through that door and take that coat off, stick it on the bottom of the stairs and, and go and have a glass of wine with his wife and his family. You know, it was wonderful to spend some of that time with Pam in their house as well because what an incredible woman she is. And, and, you know, they've managed to find a pace together and they've supported each other through that. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Lobster Brain. Lobster Brain will be back on the 5th of January with podcaster, author and political strategist Alistair Campbell. So Danny, what do you think people are going to learn from Alistair? Where can I start, Lisa? Because he's just incredible. I think the thing that stuck with me the most was when he spoke about the psychotic episode he had and how the voices in his head just overtook. And I think a lot of people have voices in their heads, so it kind of normalizes that. And a lot of well-known people, successful people, don't have the courage, the ability to speak openly about their mental health issues. And Alistair really is a pioneer, and I think our listeners will learn so much from him. I also think there are some real practical tools in, in this podcast to understand how to check in with your own feelings and your own mental health in actual fact and there's something that that Alistair will go into which I've never considered before in my life and now I'm actually using it every day. That episode is going to be out soon and in the meantime please remember to rate, review and follow this podcast. It means more people will find us and the next episode will drop into your feed as soon as it's available.